Southeast Radio's Business Matters with Carl Fitzpatrick. Well, against the backdrop of rising business costs, I'm concerned for the future of small businesses in Ireland as they're being subjected to debt by a thousand costs. I firmly believe that scale is a critical ingredient for the viability of SMEs and the government is unnecessarily burdening businesses with a cost base which will, at a minimum, have a stifling effect on their growth. The current government has committed to introducing a range of measures which will result in significant increases in payroll costs for small businesses over the coming years and these include a statutory sick pay scheme, an auto-enrolment pension scheme and increasing the minimum wage to the living wage. It was for these reasons that I invited Tornishta and Minister for Enterprise, Trade and Employment, Leo Varadkar, to discuss these issues on this morning's show, as I wanted to ascertain the government's rationale and to understand how the government expected SMEs to manage these additional and onerous cost burdens. The statutory sick pay scheme will be introduced in January 2022 and will provide employees with an incremental entitlement to 10 days sick leave. Tornishta, I firmly believe that this statutory sick pay scheme signifies yet another attempt by the state to transfer cost burdens to private enterprises, as employers and employees are currently paying PRSI, which already creates an entitlement to illness benefit. Well, it's it's not not transfer from the state to private enterprise. Um, at the moment, um, about half of workers uh, get sick pay from their employer. Um, illness benefit from the state doesn't kick in until day four, so about half of workers get uh, sick pay from their employer, and um, and about half don't. Um, and those that don't have no income at all when they're sick. Um, and that's something that became really obvious to us as a problem when the pandemic hit, uh, because there were people who just couldn't afford to take time off work. Um, when they were sick, when they were having the symptoms of, of, of the coronavirus. Um, and of course, people who go into work when they're sick can get sicker um, and they can infect other people, um, including uh, workers, uh, other workers and, uh, and staff. And it's just not good from a health point of view. Uh, so what we're trying to do really is to bring Ireland into line with um, most other countries in Europe, um, in, including Northern Ireland and, and Britain, in, in having a statutory sick pay scheme. Um, but we do appreciate that it is an additional cost for employers. It's going to work out. Uh, we estimate at about a 0.8% increase in payroll costs, and we do know that all these things add up. Um, and that's kind of why we're phasing it in, um, phasing, it, phasing it in over a number of years, three years in the initial year and next year. Um, it will be necessary to have a doctor's note, and um, as well as that, uh, it's at 70% of your earnings up to a maximum of 110 a day. So, you know, the employer, the employee, if you like, is still losing income even though they're off sick. Now, while employers were aware that sick pay would become a statutory entitlement at some stage, I think many employers were surprised that it's coming in now, just after a pandemic. And then secondly, that by the time we get to 2025, that employees could avail of 10 days of sick leave per year. Why is there such a drastic increase from zero days to 10 days over such a short period of time? Um, I, I, I'm not sure it's all that short a period of time. You know, it's, it's three days in the first year, five in the second, then seven, uh, then ten. Um, and then after that, obviously, there's no obligation on the employer to provide sick pay. The, uh, the individual then would switch over to illness benefits, which we do intend to improve as well, because at the moment that's very low. It's only um, 200, and so, 200 or so euros a week if you're a single person, and that's... Um, uh, not a lot of money to get by on if you're used to higher income and you've got sick and you have to take time off for sickness. Um, but like I say, you know, we are going to put in controls and obviously one of the controls is that it has to be certified. Um, and as well as that, um, 
Um, you don't get your full pay when you're off sick. The employer can give you that, um, but you don't get the full pay when you're off sick. It's 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 70% uh, up to a maximum of 110 a week. Um, and I think it is worth bearing in mind that there are, you know, it is the case that a lot of employers do provide sick pay already. And, you, you know, you could have two businesses next door to each other um, doing a very similar business and one pays sick pay to their staff and the other doesn't. And um, that's a competitive disadvantage on the employer who's, if you like, doing the good thing. And uh, we'd hopefully uh, fix that imbalance as well. And although it is certified, is there a danger here that some employees will just see this as an add-on to their annual leave? You know, I, I think there's always a danger of that, um, no matter what um, you do, uh, it, when it comes to bringing in a new right or entitlement or when it comes to tax or anything, uh, there's always going to be people who abuse the system, but um, I think they're going to be small, small in number. Um, and um, obviously we'll need safeguards to make sure that uh, that, that doesn't happen or at least that's minimised. And of course, much of the concern from an employer's perspective is that maybe we could see this entitlement being revised upwards periodically, very much like what is happening with the minimum wage. Well, you know, I, I suppose that's possible. Um, generally, as time goes on, um, wages do rise and, uh, and and workers' rights do improve. And uh, notwithstanding that, there, at least up until the pandemic, there were more people at work in Ireland than, than ever before. You, you know, so I, I, I'm not of this view that uh, keeping, late, keeping wages low or stagnant and um, not improving people's terms and conditions um, results in a better economy. Like we, we know in Ireland, uh, over the past uh, 10 years, we were able to increase the minimum wage seven times, but by 25%. Uh, and yet, um, up until the day before the pandemic, we had more people at work in Ireland than ever before. And, you know, bear in mind, uh, people on low pay earning a bit more um, means that more money gets spent in your local town, in your local community. It means that they're uh, less dependent maybe on, on the state uh, for other things, um, more able to pay the rent and the mortgage and for childcare. So, you know, it can have a beneficial effect in the rent, um, but only if you don't go too fast. And I do fully understand and appreciate um, that if we go too fast, uh, that it could have negative consequences. And the most important workers' right is the right to work. And we're not going to do anything that would result in um, un- unemployment rising or um, businesses being forced to close or um, or people having their hours cut. And, and they, they will be the negative consequences of introducing these things too quickly. And I'm also conscious that there are lots of sectors in industries where businesses are operating at low single-digit margins. So is your advice to those businesses to absorb this additional cost of statutory sick pay or to pass it on to their customers? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question and, and a, um, a very difficult one, one for me to answer, obviously. You know, every business is different and every business has to um, work out uh, and make those decisions for themselves, obviously. Um, some businesses may be able to increase prices, but if others in doing so might lose customers. So it's not that increasing prices always results in increased revenue, as anyone in business will know. But I can say, you know, as a government, we are trying to help out with other things. You know, we're trying to help to reduce costs for business as well. And uh, I think most businesses will appreciate what we've done in the past year with the wage subsidy, with the commercial rates holiday. And I'm really leading the charge on the whole issue of insurance um, because that's a huge cost for business. Uh, and um, we're making good progress now on implementing our action plan for insurance and bringing down the cost of uh, employers' liability and public liability. So, you know, there's a lot of moving parts here, I think. And um, um, a 0.8% increase in, in, in the payroll bill hopefully will be something that 
um, most employers will be able to absorb without too much difficulty. And of course, another related matter, and we have touched upon it already, we have seen many increases to the minimum wage over the past five years. But under the programme for government, for your government, during its lifetime, you've committed to increasing that minimum wage up to 12.30, which is the living wage minimum wage currently is at 10.20 that would be a massive increase in a short period of time if it was to come to fruition and of course that would bring another cost with it to small businesses where do you stand now in relation to bringing the minimum wage to the living wage yeah well um, I don't think that particular figure is actually used in the programme for government Um, there is a group of academics and charities and unions that come up with a figure of 12.30 an hour for the living wage but that's not actually um, a figure that um, uh, is used in the programme for government, to the best of my knowledge. I'll have to double-check that, but I think it's not. Um, You you know, a living wage in Ireland would be calculated by the Low Pay Commission, and on the Low Pay Commission, you have people there representing business and small business, um, uh, and they would have to be there. You you know, you'd have to have that representation there, and that's not the case on on the group in Ireland that comes up with um, that particular figure that you used. Um, and we haven't, you know, the public consultation on that is, is still ongoing. We haven't fully decided what model we'll use in Ireland. You'll know in the UK, for example, it doesn't apply to all workers. It's only workers above a, a certain age. Um, it would probably have to be phased in. Uh, and we'd have to work out how we calculate it, whether it's linked to um, uh, a percentage of average wages or whether we link it to what they call um, the minimum essential standard of living. So, you know, this is only work in progress at the moment. Government is also planning to introduce auto enrolment pensions. Talk us through the impact that that will have for businesses, and secondly, what your timelines are now for introducing it. Yes, yeah, so um, in Ireland, we've very very unequal society in a way when it comes to pensions. Um, everyone, of course, is entitled to the state pension contributory if you pay your PRSI, uh, but most people need more than that. You know, they need an occupational pension on, on top of their state pension to be secure in retirement, and that's what we want. We want people to be secure and have dignity in retirement. Uh, and generally speaking, and I am I'm speaking generally here, you know, if you're in the public sector, if you work for a multinational, if you work for a big company, um, you probably have an occupational pension uh, to supplement your state pension, but a huge number of people working in the private sector don't um, and uh, that's something we want to change and the whole idea of auto enrolment is that uh, you contribute something to your pension your employer contributes something and the state contributes something as well uh, and that's your pension fund and you can build that up over the years and it's uh, some extra savings and extra money for you when you uh, when you retire um, it is going to be uh, opt-out so um, everyone will be enrolled if you like but people can opt out but the general experience from other countries is that while people are slow to start paying into their pension they um, uh, they um, uh, once 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 they once they so have to they tend not to opt out because they do understand um, the, the benefits um, uh, of starting to save early uh, and of course this will impl- apply not just to work you know um, everyday workers it'll also apply to management it'll apply to um, uh, senior people as well so uh, I think it's something that could benefit everyone. So it was initially planned that auto-enrolment pensions would take place from 2022. Bearing in mind that we've been through the pandemic, is there a revised timeline for its introduction at this stage, Tanishta? Uh, there, there is now. We're working on that. Minister Humphreys is leading on that um, from, from, from our side. Um, uh, I, I would 
we don't have this nailed down yet, but I would have thought more likely now to be 2023, and that's when the first contributions will be made. And again, something that will be will be phased in in over a number of years, being done in the UK already. Australia is one of the first countries in the world to do this. Uh, it's very successful, does give people security in um, a greater security in retirement, and also can help with recruitment and retention too. You know, if people um, uh, again see the benefits of working, that uh, working isn't just about uh, the wages you get at the end of the week. Um, it's also linked to really important social benefits in your pension too. And indicatively, what level of contribution will employers be required to make? Um, you, you know, again, that's that's um, that's that's in, in development. Um, we'd anticipate starting very slowly uh, and then increasing over a number of years. Um, in many ways, what what might happen in practice, and this this is what happened in Australia, for example, is. Uh, it, it, it was introduced in lieu of a pay increase. So let's just say, for example, um, in any given year, um, people were getting a pay increase of 2 or 3%. That's not unusual. Um, and uh, the way it worked in that country was that instead of getting a pay increase, we'll say, of, of 3%, uh, it was agreed that there'd be a pay increase of 2% instead. But the extra 1%, if you like, would go into the pension. And that's the way it was done. Uh, and I think that's probably the best way to do it if we could get it agreed between business and uh, unions so that it's done in that kind of way. I have seen some indicative models created by the department that show that employers will be making a contribution somewhere between 2 and 7% per year of the payroll costs. Could that be realistic? Yeah, that, that's possible. Um, and obviously, there'd be a similar contribution from the employee and then a similar contribution from the state. Um, I, I, I don't think it'd be at the higher end, like seven, it'd probably be somewhere, somewhere, more, somewhere more in the middle. Um, and of course, there'd be a degree of choice around this. It'll depend on the amount that the employee wants to pay in as well. Uh, and like I say, there will be people um, who opt out. Um, and it wouldn't necessarily be, uh, you know, short-term workers. You, you know, mightn't wouldn't apply necessarily to somebody who you're only taking on for six six months. We'll say um, this would be probably for for more stable, more longer-term employees. But again, a lot of work to be done between now and then. Now, of course, we've touched upon a couple of important issues this morning: the statutory sick pay scheme, auto enrolment of pensions, and increases to minimum wage. Can you see cumulatively the financial burden that these are going to put on small businesses? Uh, I can, and that's um, why we're doing it the way we're doing it, incrementally and, and slowly, and not um, not not all in one go. Um, um, and it has to be seen as well, of course, in a context, you know, in a context of rising prices, in a context of of inflation, uh, and in a context where. Um, most people most years get a pay increase um, and what we're saying is that it might make sense to divert some of that uh, into into things like for example better social benefits or uh, or pension contributions so it, it, it might be the case that in some cases it was an increase that employees were going to get anyway um, but we're diverting a portion of that uh, into the cost of sick pay or into the cost of um, uh, pensions too and that's actually better long term. Now, I do want to speak to you as well this morning about the Small Business Assistance Scheme for COVID. It's now open for applications. So what businesses can apply under this scheme and what levels of assistance are available? Uh, okay, so for uh, businesses with a turnover of more than 50,000 uh, pre-pandemic, um, it, it's, it's a grant of 4,000 and it is a grant. Uh, it's not repayable. It's not a tax credit. It's a pure grant. And for businesses with a turnover of less than 50,000, they can, they, they can get a grant of, um, uh, of 1,000 euros. Uh, and it's really a grant scheme for businesses that didn't qualify for the CRSS. Uh, so these generally are businesses that um, uh, 
um, weren't closed by government order, if you like, um, or um, are, 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 aren't rateable. And this time what's different is it does include businesses that are operating from home, for example, or from a hot desk. Uh, you don't have to have um, a traditional um, business premises as such, an office or, or, or a shop front. Um, uh, but your turnover does have to be down. Obviously, your turnover has to be down significantly from where it was, down 75% or more um, pre-pandemic. Uh, if you received the 4,000 grant in the first round, you can apply again and get a second 4,000. Um, so it's really aimed at you know very small businesses that um, uh, that have been badly disrupted by the pan- pandemic to give them a, a grant of a few thousand euros really to help cover some of those fixed costs and uh, and, and get going again. Now, Tornista, I know that many operators in the hospitality sector are calling for a revised stay and spend scheme to be introduced. Is this likely to be implemented by government? Um, we're looking at that. You know, saying stay and spend was a great idea, but it didn't um, didn't quite work out because of the because uh, of the second lockdown. Um, if we do it, though, we're aiming for doing something around the shoulder season. Uh, you know, we think that um, uh, that the summer will hopefully will be busy enough. Uh, you know, with domestic tourism and. Um, people spending some of the savings that they built up uh, during the pandemic. Uh, but for the tourism and hospitality sector, that shoulder season heading into September, October, November before Christmas could be very difficult in the new year too. So um, if we're going to do it, it's going to be something targeted. And uh, Mr. Catherine Martin is working up options at the moment. Uh, spend and save is one that's on the shelf. Um, but I know some people thought that was a bit complicated uh, because um, you don't get the money back until the next tax year. Uh, the UK did something a bit different. We're looking at that too, or even this idea of a voucher or a discount card. So a bit of work being done on that. But the aim, if we do, would be for, for the kind of autumn or, or, or New Year season rather than the summer. And Tornista, finally, when do you expect that Ireland will be back at pre-COVID-19 employment levels? You know, no, no, nobody, nobody knows for sure. I, I, I'm an optimist when it comes comes to these things. You, you know, I, I see that there are some sectors um, that are powering ahead. I, I'm announcing hundreds of jobs every week in so many different sectors that are really powering ahead. So there are a lot of sectors that weren't badly hit by the pandemic and they're uh, still growing. Uh, and yet there are other sectors um, uh, hit really hard, you know, construction, retail, hospitality in particular, a lot of others. Um, you know, I'd, I'd be... Uh, I'd love to believe that, that by, by the end of next year, we could be back to 2.3 million people. I, I don't know if that can be achieved, but that's um, definitely my ambition. That the, the, the official government target, as you know, is, is to 2.5 million people uh, working by 2024, which would be uh, breaking all records. Um, but um, I, I really think that uh, with a bit of luck um, uh, and the right policies, of course, uh, the economy can recover very quickly. Like all of those services and goods that people needed before the pandemic, they're going to need them again. Uh, and there's a lot of jobs behind that. And of course, you've made the comment that you expect the economy to take off like a rocket. What's underpinning that quote? But two things, really. Um, one, the huge amount of savings that have been built up. Uh, the central bank estimates that about 14 billion euros was saved by people during the pandemic, uh, largely because they weren't able to spend. Um, you know, some of that's going to go into paying down debt, and that's good. Some people might use it as a deposit towards a house, but other people will spend on other things um, in our local shops and our local businesses, and I, I hope they do, uh, and that'll um, that'll help uh, things to bounce back. You know, there's a lot of uh, pent-up demand. People who haven't, you know, bought clothes, haven't bought white goods, haven't done, done a lot of things in a long time, and, and they're going to want to spend. And I think the second thing 
is the fact that the government is putting so much investment into the economy at the moment. Um, I know it comes from borrowing, but uh, it is the right thing to do. So, you, you know, increased investment in 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 skills, uh, in capital infrastructure as well. And we have the European money as well, about two billion between the Brexit fund uh, and the European Recovery Fund. So all of that money uh, going into the economy uh, over the course of the next few months. And uh, if that doesn't give things a big boost, I don't know what will. Well, if you've just tuned in, that was Tornish de Leo Varadkar. And it was interesting to get an insight into the government's perspective of the impact which this scheme and others are having on a once thriving small business community. It will be interesting to see the impact that these various schemes will have on the small business community and their viability over the coming years. And only time will tell. Southeast Radio's Business Matters with Carl Fitzpatrick.